We all go a little mad sometimes, especially when Tommy forces me to just continually watch horror movies throughout the month of October. Psycho, (laughs) coming up next. Haven't seen it with Tim Sestito and Tommy Tevenet. Hello, everybody. Welcome on in. Thank you all so much for listening today. This is a podcast where one of us is watching a movie for the very first time. And today that is myself. Tommy, you've seen Alfred Hitchcock's Psycho before, right? This is uh, my second time watching it, and honestly, of all the movies we've covered horror-wise, I'm shocked you've never seen this before, because it seemed like it would have been right up your alley. It, it's uh, one of Hitchcock. those that's just like right up my alley, but I'm like, oh, <laughs> is it creepy? And like I've seen the iconic kill before. It's like arguably the most yeah. iconic kill in the history of cinema. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I would say I would say probably is. It's just, it's everywhere. I actually thought it was at I, the start at the top of the movie, but I like how it ended up building into it. So I just yeah, that's waiting. cool. I'm, I'm like, when, 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 when's the kill? Yeah, literally, you're just waiting for that fucking money shot right there. Um, I mean, it's a kill that like has been parodied to death. I mean, like we've had like Looney Tunes uh, cover, uh, like do a parody of it before, and like you know, so many people just do the fake out and stuff like that. And you know, these days, I mean, Brian De Palma for all his fucking worth uh, is a master of just using shower scenes like that of people getting killed in showers. <laughs> Yeah, it's been parodied to death. It's, but it's in every commercial that has to do with movies, right? It's just, it's yeah. like, even if you haven't seen Psycho, you've seen like the that murder, you've heard that scream before. It's just, it's mm-hmm. it's like rooted in American culture. Mm-hmm. Um, Alfred Hitchcock Psycho, and we're gonna dive deeper into the film for all it's worth here but uh tommy and i were gonna have a special discussion about a film that just came out last friday killers of the flower moon now tommy you know for me it feels like a movie that's more up my alley you know what i mean in terms of like that if you you call you i can get labeled as pretentious sometimes when it comes to film and yeah. you're like on <laughs> shutter watching bad B movies, bad B horror movies. So, you, you know, Essentially. I, I, <laughs> but I would love to know what your expectations for it were going into it. I, I never really gotten the vibe from Martin Scorsese that he's a pretentious filmmaker. And there's been all this talk on Twitter about like how like, oh, like he's such a snob or whatever. Mostly from fucking MCU fanboys that just like yeah, don't yeah. Can't handle criticism. And like as someone that loves Marvel, too, it's just like. Oh God, it's so fucking cringe when someone just says like some take that like, oh, uh, Miss Marvel's more relatable than anything that uh, Martin Scorsese's made in his life. And it's just like, just shut up. You're being a fucking idiot. But anyways, uh, you know, this yeah, movie, and, uh, thought... let me just let me just say I, I didn't mean it in okay. that way. I meant it in a sense that like if you just read like the synopsis of this movie of like following the years of the Osage tribe like and the murders that happened and then you see a three hour 26 runtime i'm not yeah. i'm just saying like pretty much any other director puts that out it's probably like a uh no yeah but the fact is martin scorsese, scorsese like, i gotta fucking see it yes yeah, exactly it up. And, yeah and I'll, I'll admit there's a part of me that i went to go see it sunday night and part of me was almost just like i know this is gonna be a good movie i'm excited for it but like do i want to dedicate my whole sunday night to this movie because that's what it ended up being i saw a five o'clock five o'clock screening i I didn't get out until like i think almost nine because you know we factored in trailers or anything like that but granted given that i didn't really feel the runtime for the majority of this movie yeah i I felt i I didn't either uh maybe towards the end uh and maybe towards like during her sickness you're like okay we could have maybe Sliced and speed. diced it up to, to maybe speed it up, but I feel like Scorsese with his history, um, mm. he can do whatever the hell he wants. And good for him. He's yeah. gotten two two hundred million dollar budget for these long epics that like historical epics, like at the tail end of his career. Mm. Um, you know, so for you, what was your kind of main takeaway after the after sitting through the I- 
I, I just think that in general, like the performances were great. I mean, we haven't seen Robert De Niro this good since, I mean, granted the Irishman, but even then, he's better than he was in the Irishman. I thought he was, I thought it was one of his best performances. It was, he was unbelievable yeah. in that, in, and in it, Killers. I thought that this is just a great engaging movie that really kept you involved. And like, you know, there's some complaints that I saw that people were like, oh, there's no mystery, but that's not the point. It's about yeah how did we allow this fucked up shit to happen and like this is how fucked up things were and you know the parallels between tulsa how they kept on mentioning that throughout the movie the historical mm-hmm. significance i thought was just great i thought that leo was um obviously really fun one thing that was great in my screening was that in the scene slight spoiler where robert Gino's game i'm not gonna say what it is but he's getting leo to sign some papers there's some yeah. my screen that's kept on screaming out leo no don't sign that what are you doing what are you somebody doing somebody actually on, screamed, it, screamed at it yeah, scream, screamed out, yelled out in the audience. Be like, come on, Leo, don't say that. I thought it was fucking hilarious. It kind of, sometimes I like shit like that, cheeky shit audience uh, members do in the movie. I, okay I do that. like that. That's like a visceral reaction. Um, yeah. And I almost think for for that audience member, like he kind of, because the movie is told from Leo's perspective. Now I've seen from Osage community members, like there was a consultant on the film who's who on the red carpet saying after he saw the screening, he said he wanted it to just be from the Osage perspective and not from these, you know, these killers perspective. I kind of look at it as I think if Scorsese could actually get funding for a movie from the Osage perspective, he probably would have liked to have done it from that side of things. Yeah. But you're getting Apple to give him $200 million to make a move, a three hour and 26 movie and a four hour cut that's going to be on Apple, Apple TV. You're going to have, you need a guy like Martin Scorsese as the director, and then you're going to need Leo DiCaprio and Robert De Niro to get some kind of money back from this and put a prestige to the film that like leading, like the Osage actors were fantastic in them and they're all relatively unknown uh, actors and performers. I mean, Lily Gladstone, like, you know, she's the emotional core of the movie and just like, the torture she goes through in yeah. you know the white man's conquest of getting you know getting their money is mm-hmm. just it's visceral and it, it's haunting and right like the you said the yeah i mean obviously i i can per- oh. um i say that i can't speak personally to like you know the, the perspective of the osage but yeah of i course. did think that at least uh i did think that at least that um they were able to put spice, spice in a good amount of perspective, at least from Lily Gladstone's character. Some characters were kind of just like really just kind of brushed aside. She was really the only prominent Native American voice in the movie, um, yeah. like throughout. Um, but I think that with what they did, they did also just like show sometimes you have to sit in with the terrible characters and just see like how do we allow this to happen? And and like, you know, there's some black humor moments in this movie, but them a lot of them were basically just like yeah, so I can go kill this Indian. Where's my money? Come on, like, give me it or something like that. Like, <laughs> yeah, like one of the cuts that I loved, it was early on and it was like kind of where you don't know what Leo's character is. Like he just comes into town after World War One. His uncle gets him a job driving a taxi. Um, and he's driving like Gladstone and then it cuts to him and the group robbing the Osage. And then it's him gambling all this money like all these jewels right and just screaming like i love money i love it right and losing all the the jewels in a bet and then it's a hard cut to lily gladstone you know her character molly doing like a morning ritual to the sun and it's like one group of people are called savages and one group of people are not called savages and guess which ones are acting savagely and it's you know it's obviously a white man and it's it's a study of Leo's character who's, you know, Leo does such a good job of playing just like a dipshit. Like he's very good. At, he's very good at it. This this might be the dumbest character Leo's ever played. Oh, yeah, I um, think it's easily the dumbest character Leo's ever played. And it, I don't think yeah. it like his lack of intelligence takes away from his like cruelty because that doesn't take mm-hmm. a layer of intelligence. I do think it's like once the like once the ball gets started. In terms of like okay, you're going to start, you know, you were going to go date Molly, you'll get into that money, right? And then it's just like the, well, we're going to take care of her her sister, her one sister, Anna, like we want her to go. Who's yeah. like, that's like the first major focus death of the Osage that we get to see. Um, mm-hmm. And then her other sister and her husband, they literally blow up the house. Um, yeah. 
and spoilers. And, <laughs> and spoilers. Um, and then you know, you know, De Niro's character, uh, uh, King Hill. He's he comes walking back. He was at a rally in Fresno, Texas, to make sure he's not there. Right? He can't. He can't possibly be connected. He wasn't in town. And the cop just goes to him and goes, "You're being too loud." Like I love that little moment because it was like, like the mm-hmm. cops didn't like know who organized it and didn't care. They yeah. were ju- they were just like. Uh, it, it was to the point when once uh, you have um, what's his name, um, fucking Jesse, Pl- uh, well, not Je- Jesse Plemons. Yeah, Jesse Plemons. He plays the de- like the main detective yeah. from the ba- start of base- FBI. Once it, once you get to the point where he enters the picture, it's a thing that like this is not a mystery whatsoever. It was so glaringly obvious to the FBI who was doing this that they're able to quickly solve the case to the point, and like you know, that's the whole point of the movie. It's just that. This whole community just didn't give a shit, and they're just everybody like, yeah. knew everybody knew who was behind it, and there was nothing yeah. to stop it. And it was, you know, it was frightening how Hill, you know, kind of led himself as a champion of these people and a part of this community and wanting to help these people. But you know, in broad daylight, he had no problem just, you know, destroying the community. Uh, what did you think mm-hmm. of the ending? We're gonna do a little. Oh, spoiler alert! Let's in the broad stroke of things, it was. From the perspective of, it was telling the story again and kind of giving an epilogue, but it was from the perspective of like a 1940s radio show. Mm. And then Scorsese himself comes out and reads like the the epilogue of all these, of, of Molly, right? Like he's the one who gives that brand string. Like, I, I, I think it's a... I think it's a cool framing device. Uh, I think it's a little bit better than like having just like a title card show up at the yeah. end of like just like freeze frame on Lily Gladstone. She died in 1936. I did think that. I mean, I'm trying to think before one of his movies before, um, like acting. It, at least this is the most prominent I can think of off the it's, top of my head. Like, Taxi Driver is probably the most prominent um, that I can yeah. think of. To be fair, I haven't seen that in like 15 years, but. Um, uh anyways yeah i think that like in, in general i think the, the way he just uh said in the end that just like the murders were never mentioned in her obituary was kind of haunting and it's a way that's crazy when you think about this this isn't that far away from history i mean uh ernest right. burkhardt the character that leo played died in 86 so like yeah. not that long ago this isn't like this is and it's almost forgotten history hmm. um and uh you know i think part of it was just showing like because like the buildup into Mar- Marty giving it and like the radio program, it's like it's sensationalizing it, and it's almost M- M- Scorsese coming out and saying, "I'm also s- sensationalizing it." Because you know, like it was a pure yeah. fourth wall break from the director himself, like yeah, and it was almost a reminder of being like that. Like ultimately, that's what this ends up having to be for it to get released, to get made. Mm-hmm. But like, don't like I showed this happening in a brutal sense so that you understand the brutality and you can't escape it um yeah you know it's it's one of those movies that when it comes out on apple tv i, I want to re-dive into it because i think i'll pick up more of what's there because it is it's a lot of moving parts and in a typical scorsese fashion it's you know don't worry about plot so much it's a lot more about character and story that's just like a trademark of how he makes his films mm. um and i think you know on a rewatch there's just gonna be more to to pick up and and like comprehend because i think it's all there together but the pacing was terrific the acting was terrific uh i think lily gladstone deserves an oscar um should easily be the front runner um you know would you consider in uh best actress or best uh supporting actress i i I i'm leaning towards best actress i'm leaning towards best actress too she's crucial because if you don't have her there and you just follow these two men be cruel to these people like it's just disgusting and you need that emotional connection and release next to it scorsese was saying in interviews leading up to this movie that uh originally it was gonna um have the film take um place of like the perspective of jesse plemons's character the fbi agent that's how the book and that's is, how the book was. And yeah. but he, when he was writing this, and we, and he was looking at, it, he's like, "Oh my god, like this would just be sensationalized and just like, uh, like completely like lost perspective." But instead, you need to focus on the fucked up people that are doing this just to show, like, it's it could be yeah. your husband, it could be your husband killing your 
killing your sisters just to accumulate more money. Like, yeah, that's so. simple. Um, you know, overall, four point five out of five for me. I I'm, mean, I think it was really good. Um, I wasn't the best Scorsese movie ever, but that's a hard high bar to fill. That's <laughs> a high. I would also say four point five out of five. I think it's one of those movies that's maybe the most important in his filmography, like just in terms of like cultural preservation and story preservation, like aside, I think it might be that whether it's as well, yeah, because we we need, we need movies like this more and more. I mean, we're getting to a point in culture where like, you know, the Tulsa massacre people, a lot of people only found out about that because the Watchmen TV show that came out four years ago, which is kind of sad. That's how we learned through American history. But if we don't have these media outlets and like, you know, some shit's just going to be, brush aside swept under the rug like we'll forget that awful history that happened we need to put a lens to ourselves and say like this is how fucking shitty we can be as humans yeah and i i think um i i you know 4.5 out of 5 and maybe one of those it could become a 5.5 out of 5 if on a rewatch i just think it's such a dense film like there's just so much going on that i could appreciate a uh, like it more on a second viewing where I know where it's going and looking for little details. Also funniest moment of the movie was when uh, De Niro spanks Leo with a paddle for messing up one of the kills. Um, yeah. And apparently Leo wore padding in his pants. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Amazing. Fun, fun little tidbit there uh, from Killers of the Flower Moon. I highly recommend it in a theatrical setting. It's just, you know, you're getting one of the greatest, you know, probably the greatest filming living filmmaker and one of his swan songs. And, um, you know, really happy I, you know, decided to commit the time to go see it because it's definitely worth it. Um, so in that somber, you know, and obviously, you know, keep in mind the the history and the, you know, significance of the brutality towards the Osage people as well. Um, I guess in that note, on on a on a somber note, I guess now is a good time to transition into psycho. And that was actually a trailer from 1960 where it just says Psycho on it. It was a small TV spotter, short little teaser trailer that they had for it. Um, I'm glad you didn't find the clip that apparently there was a six minute trailer that they made for this back in the day. I believe it. I'm sure I could have found it, but I'm not playing a six minute trailer. We got places to go. People to see, Tommy. We can't be going exactly. through uh, watching six-minute trailers, especially after watching so, a three-hour and twenty-six-minute movie this week. Uh, yeah. So, Tommy, you as the horror buff, I'm surprised this is only your second time watching Psycho because it's yeah, probably the considered first time, like an iconic. It's like one of the most iconic films ever made. The first time I ever saw it was around like uh, this time ten years ago. I think I brought up on the pod before when. Uh, me and our buddy Will from the pod did a three day horror movie marathon. And I remember, I it. remember that horror movie marathon. You being, yeah, like, you want to come over? And I'm like, no, no. <laughs> we watched everything from Psycho to uh, Scream, Scream Two, Zodiac was involved. Uh, we watched Jaws, um, a little bit of fucking everything. So I mean, like, you know, in the context of the three day horror movie marathon, when we watched, I think we probably watched 30, 40 movies. This is like our Christmas break. Uh, freshman year of college or sophomore year and when you're in the context of that a lot of the movies start to blur in together and you kind of forget something so it was good to revisit this movie in a way that was not in a fatigued like hue of just like fucking violence constantly on my fucking eye i have it was almost like the fucking uh clockwork orange thing i'm just like my eyes yeah. open and uh, watching I, I, i'm just thinking of like people that time of year you know they're binging holiday movies maybe hallmark christmas movies right just something adorable that's cute for the family like it's just it's just you know (laughs) schlocky nonsense but you're just like nope it's the most wonderful time of the year to watch people get brutally murdered and watch psychotic killers if i remember correctly uh i'm pretty sure the marathon ended on christmas eve so 
<laughs> that's how we spend our Christmas Eve. Um, so, you know, clearly my priorities are straight for the holidays. So, uh, but anyways, it was great to revisit this movie. I mean, this is my first uh, Hitchcock movie I ever saw um, back then when I, when I did it. And it's kind of crazy to the uh, fact that like, you know, on the pod this year, uh, we've covered, this is our, what, fourth Hitchcock movie, I believe? Fourth Hitchcock, yeah. Yeah, so we've covered Vertigo, we've covered Rear Window, we covered uh, The Birds, and now this. And I think, it's kind of crazy, but I think the black and white kind of helped this movie age a lot better than the uh, other three I, movies that we watched. I, um, well, I don't think any of them, maybe The Birds aged the worst just because of, like, the effects of The Birds. It's the only one that practically needs it the most. Um. Mm. Uh, I know you weren't the biggest, you weren't the most in love with uh, Rear Window, but I don't think black and white versus color made any, would have made a significant difference in that film, to be honest. I think it's also just like the color timing, because when you get into the color timing part of it, it kind of just like puts it in an era right there. And and I know Um, that, and I know with some of the restorations of Hitchcock films, especially the color ones, um, mm-hmm. You know, there's debates over which, you know, what was the actual color palette versus the restoration color palette. But that's all a bunch of nerdy nonsense that nobody cares about. Um, yeah. Um, so this movie was filmed in black and white for uh, budget cost uh, restrictions, essentially. So, you know, Hitchcock wanted to film this movie like, you know, and Paramount balked at his uh, proposal and refused to provide his usual budget. So he's like, all right, well, uh, we'll film it quickly. We'll film it cheaply in black and white. And we'll use my Alfred Hitchcock's Presents television crew to film this movie. Um, so just trying to find a way of cheaping, you know, he didn't even take his usual rate. He ended up taking like a cut of the box office, uh, which made him a fortune when this became a sleeper hit. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I, I mean, I think just the cinematography of this movie just really holds up and the performances don't really feel hokey at all in a way no. that like, some older movies can. I, I think Especially that... like older horror movies. Oh yeah, like, exactly. Like they when, feel when very you... Victorian Broadway, you know, like like 1900s Broadway kind of yeah. style, like a Bela Lugosi Dracula. It's a over the top. It's grandiose. Well, yeah, I mean, I've talked to you before about like I watched Frankenstein for the first time. I think like two years ago, and watching that for the first time, I was just like, I appreciate the significant cultural um, significance of this, but it just is way too hokey for me. In terms yeah, of and it's it's kind of funny when you go to some movies when you know and that movie opens up with like the guy saying like you're about to see a horrible and terrifying picture and you're like this is not horrifying at all but like you know back in the 30s it was but psycho in some way still kind of hits in that way it still kind of feels suspenseful i would say super scary but especially when the shower scene has been like fucking like we said on the top of this episode yeah but yeah. to death you know there's the part of me that goes like i've seen the shower scene so many times just on its own verse and the and like the parody of it it's hard to watch this movie from a modern lens and go in completely blind which i love to do but it's hard like you know that's coming uh, at yeah. some point in the movie um I would say, well, but I would say in terms of the, re- let's just go into the resolution of it and we'll kind of work our way back from it just because that's where we are in our conversation. Um, yeah. You know, the the twist of like, you know, when I see the mother come in and stab her, I'm like, okay, well, it's like, I, I knew what was, I knew it was going to be Perkins in the wig, right? You knew it was going to be Norman Bates in the wig. Did, did you know that going in, or is that like you just deducted? I that? just kind of deducted it a little bit. I mm-hmm. was just, I was just like, that was like, well, it was either, I was like, it's either the mother, which just feels too straightforward for it, like a Hitchcock mm-hmm. movie, right? Like he has the old line, like tension in a film is putting a bomb under the table, letting the audience know, but not letting the characters know what's going on. I was, it was either the mother or it was him in a wig. Um, and then as um, <clears throat> Sam and the sister Lila start to explore it, you know, explore it more in the town, um, they have Arbogast, the invest PI, you know, investigating them and going there. And they go to the old deputy sheriff played by John McIntyre. Uh, he was great in the, as just like a curmudgeon old cop. I, I loved, I love that kind yeah. of role in there. Just <laughs> a sleepy town curmudgeon cop being like, just like, ah, been, fuck off. The mother's been dead for 10 years. And then I was like, okay, it was it's him in a wig. Um, mm. and then the you know that there were other missing girls there during the resolution with the psychologist, right? Mm. Um, you know, that that he was the one who actually for, you know committed the double murder of the man because the mother wasn't giving him the attention. Mm. It, 
when I think about it from the perspective of nine, it, it, I think it doesn't de-age the movie, but I think, think about the year this came out. Like serial killers are like kind of roughly become more like the FBI starts actually investigating these people in like the 1970s. Like this was very, like this, this movie in the book, it was based on uh, the book psycho was based on the Wisconsin grave robber, uh, Ed Gein, who also inspired Texas chainsaw massacre and all, all these other stuff. But even he was like only like two people he killed. And I think the rest was, he just made like human skin furniture or something like that. Yeah. Um, but like, you know, that wasn't really a prevalent thing. I mean, this movie at the time was controversial to say the least. I mean, like Walt Disney wouldn't let uh Alfred Hitchcock film at um like you know uh was it Disney World, I believe it was. Disneyland um, at that point, right? It, yeah. It, it, yeah, it was Disneyland. He refused to let Hitchcock film at Disneyland because he uh because Hitchcock made that disgusting movie Psycho. And you know, this is a time where the Hayes Code was still going on. The Hayes Code only ended in 68. So like, you know, as controversial as like, you know, the blood was in the shower scene, it was also really controversial the fact that they showed a toilet flushing. That's the time we were at uh, back then. It's insane to think about that that was something controversial. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I think um, like, I, you know, Karina Longworth, she does the uh, You Must Remember This podcast. She has like, mm. like, like I, my favorite of hers is the Manson murders. Yeah. It's Charles, Mar- it's called Charles Manson Hollywood. And the first episode of that is just setting up what Hollywood was at the time leading into it. And like what led to somebody like Charles Manson coming off as cool and like that cultural shift and like that Hayes code of 1960, it it brings that shit down. I highly recommend that podcast, that series. I know she just did the erotic eighties and nineties series, yeah, which a is a great series an, too. It's a great series, great podcast. Go check it out. If, if you're, interested in in you know learning more about the history of film uh well sometimes i feel like the haze code is like a reason why sometimes the older movies don't connect with me as much because it just feels so hokey so like Mm -hmm. oh like do good or thing and like you know there's stuff with the haze code back in the day where it's like the villain at the end of the has to find a way to uh like you lose or something it's almost like you know how like with fight club uh recently it was like screamed in china and they changed the the chinese censors changed the ending so the ending of uh fight club was just a title card that says the authorities figured out the whole entire plan and arrested everyone there was of no course, damage done whatsoever course, <laughs> the great co- people's party of the communist reign in china would definitely figure it out they are great men overlords please don't <laughs> Please don't overthrow us as we send you back to your cells that you live in. Uh, wonderful, wonderful system of government but, they have there. But yeah, I mean, I mean, that, if if we still had that today in like the American films, it would just like would make films so toothless. And like, it is shocking that we were able to get a movie like this even made like back then well, within we the ha- confines. We have the, those sensors exist. It's just for corporate benefit, right? Apple has a thing. Like it was a thing in the two thousands that the bad guy wouldn't have in like the late 2000s 2010s if you watch any action movie there or mystery movie the bad guy he's not using an iphone because they have apple had a clause i think it's gone now but um if the bad guy could not use an iphone because they did not want their product associated with that so it's it's little more corporate sensors it's not in terms of general broad concepts right like the Hayes code yeah but we still have that kind of censorship of context and then if you if you know have that knowledge going into a movie and then you're watching and you're like, well, that guy is not using an iPhone and everybody else is. It's like a distinction, a distinct in distinction in a character that makes you realize that. And we don't have, mm-hmm. you know, with Psycho, it is, um, it does feel a little bit of a break of the Hayes Code. It just doesn't have that kind of, you know, I think about it even just the beginning. It's like, I didn't know anything else. I just knew the, I just knew the shower scene. I knew Norman Bates, mm-hmm. Bates Motel. That's all I know. Well, um, it, it kind of reminds me, um, earlier um, last week, I watched uh, The Sixth Sense for the first time, um, a movie mm-hmm. that, like, you know, also has a famous, like, scene, a famous twist of, you know, Bruce Wells is dead at the whole time. And I've heard that for years and years and years. And I just figured this is a movie not worth really checking out. I know the twist. What's the fucking point? And I watched Sixth Sense for the first time. and I fucking loved it. I thought it was an amazing movie and it worked despite the twist. So do you think with psycho do you think like the shower scene still worked overall for oh you? I mean, yeah like... it comes at the perfect like even i think there's almost an anticipation at least for me watching it it was like mm. where does this all come into play where mm. where where does this kind of come in and and it comes after mm. this great conversation scene between 
uh, Anthony Perkins and uh, and uh, Janet Lee, uh, you know, just like they're like it's such an uncomfortable conversation about his mother and about you know being like well, why don't you institutionalize her i heard her yelling at you and like i didn't know what the twist was i only kind of saw it because it was like it's a high res resolution and just the way it's shot it's like it's clearly a man in a wig stabbing her you know like it's just yeah. it's, it's not as it's not his mother um was just kind of my giveaway I don't know what it would look like on a film projector in 1960 or just like more audience uh, bliss to that kind of thing, right? Mm -hmm. Like, wouldn't be as big of a deal. Um, but it was such a tense scene where you just feel so un so uneasy and and he has that great line, well, we all go a little mad sometimes, right? And you just yeah, it's been this, referenced in everything. <laughs> it's been referenced a hundred thousand times and then you have the... Um, you have the the image you know of him stuffing the the birds and like oh it's it's more than a hobby it's just it's it's like an obsession for me and and like you can just feel like she's uncomfortable and that she, like this guy is there's something wrong with this guy like he's a bit that, that scene edge. makes you that scene makes your skin crawl it's just like very reminiscent of like you know the cringe stuff we've seen like movies today where like you know we've all been in that situation where we get stuck in a conversation of someone that you just don't want to be fucking in that conversation but you just want to be polite because they're making you feel fucking unsettling and that's what it feels like uh part of me was thinking like if they ever did a remake of psycho again like you can almost see like a michael Sarah type or something like well, that. well they've <laughs> they've done it uh they've done it which i think is just insane to think that gus van sant had a blank check to do whatever the fuck he wanted and he was like let me do a shot for shot remake of psycho I'd love to that try is, and like that is psycho. Yeah. <laughs> oh, there you that go. Was terrible. I like that it says here. Uh, this was in the Wikipedia page after Hitchcock's death in 1980. Universal Picture Pictures produced follow-ups, three sequels, a remake, made-for-television spinoff, and a television series. It's like, oh, they had to wait until that man was dead. Because like yeah. the studios did not want this to get made. Hitchcock leveraged a lot of his own money and capital to get this movie done. And on a budget of $806,000, which, you know, good amount yeah. of money back in the 1960s, couple million, made $50 well, million at the box office. Yeah. And, and like I said, like Hitchcock got a percentage of that. So he made fucking bank. But, you know, by the time we get to the sequels, the first sequel was Psycho 2, which I heard is good uh was like 83 by the time we ever had slashers and stuff like that i mean like you know halloween which we covered last year was obviously very much inspired by this movie to point that mm -hmm. jimmy lee curtis is janet lee's mom uh right the way around um janet lee's daughter um and you can just see like the influence on all these movies over and over again so like while obviously sometimes when the movies like the first originator can feel a little bit tame but Overall, I, I didn't think this was not that team. I love the private investigator, his whole entire like little yeah. segue into the movie. I thought that uh, Milton was great. Um, but the whole shower scene, like just to get back to it, it's just insane to think about at the time, like, you know, how much of a twist that was. I mean, like, you know, we've seen this happen in movies again where it happens like um, when Alien 3, there's a character that died. Uh, David Fincher was saying, this is going to be my psycho moment because it was a character he thought was going to be a main character throughout the movie and died halfway through. And it's like, wait, what the fuck? Yeah. It's a jarring thing. I, this is a time in the movies where movie theaters at the time used to play shows on rotation all day long. And people would just frequently come in the middle and stay in the middle until the next showing. Yeah, it, was whatever, a quarter, it was a quarter It was a quarter to get in. Yeah. So and like Hitchcock made uh, movie theaters sign a contract that they would not let anyone in until the start um until the start of the film. So once they're wow. late, they would not be let until the next showing. And then this started the process of what we do today of like pretty much if you're like 30 minutes late to a movie, like you're not right. Well and it's like you don't want to go either. And that's a actually a very big cultural shift in terms of, of movies. Cause at mm -hmm. that time too, it was also like, you know, single screens, like these big cinemas with 40 screens in them, right? Like that didn't that wasn't a thing like a multiplex was like two screens yeah. in one theater. So they're usually like big theaters and they would show one movie at a time, you know, Saturdays. I mean, this, this is going way back to like the twenties, um, you know, by this point people had television, but for like newsreels, cartoons, right. That's how they were displayed and, and shown there. So that is, so like just in terms of what the theater was and meant to people, like it was, you just, when I mean, you, you go and you got there, yeah, like yeah, it, yeah. It, it, it was slide just in. 
a part of the culture now that shifted and it coincides with the rise of television as well I'll, I'll throw this up on our Instagram later on in our social media, but uh, you know, they had cardboard cutouts of Hitchcock um, pointing to his rich wrist wristwatch saying the manager of the theater has been instructed at the risk of his life to not admit any uh, people into the theater after the picture starts. And uh, pretty much just to say like, you know, you didn't want to uh, fucking destroy the twist. And like, you know, this is the original like spoiler warning thing where he'd be like, yeah, pretty much telling people he didn't have Janet Lee and Anthony Perkins, go do like you know the typical talk shows or whatever because he was worried they'd give away more of the plot and he wanted this to be a real surprise that gently was going to be killed off i mean like you know it's like the scream moment of I having mean, drew the, barrymore it, it die in show, the beginning it shows i mean it's 50 minutes of it's it's just the first 50 minutes fully her perspective yeah uh you know the first 50 minutes follows it and at that time that does feel like a very big twist i think it, it still works in this movie perfectly um and it's it's the only element it's more of a psychological horror than anything else um Mm. i think almost the scariest thing is he you know she steals forty thousand dollars from her boss just to run away right after the conversation with norman bates you know she's going to run away with her boyfriend who lived in california that's why she stays at the bates motel and she's like after that perspective of like going mad she's like i did go mad I can bring this back. I, I, we can, I can figure something out here, even mm. though I lose my job, whatever, uh, like the money, I'll give the money back. Um, you know, Norman's cleaning the hotel room and it's that weird split of his personality between his, the mother persona and, and him, you know, where he, you know, and I think the, the hidden twist of it is you see the mother do the kill and then you see Anthony Perkins walk in is uh, Norman Bates and just, like completely freaked out visceral but knowing he needs to do what he needs to do to protect his mother and clean up the room yeah now she had i, the- I clocked i clocked it um pretty much like pretty much like it happens at like the 50 minute mark the shower scene she's dead and then they spend at least 10 minutes i believe yeah just it's, it's, him clean up everything and just immediately i can only imagine i mean i remember my mom like telling me at the time that people were like we're fucking just flabbergasted when that happened and mm-hmm. wait what and it would have been yeah have any context for that and anything like the hero of our movie or of our movie just fucking straight up died i would love to show walt disney and eli roth film and get his reaction to that uh exactly it's like we were talking about with the thing where it's just like people at the time then were like oh my god this is uh fucking disgusting and like the critical reviews for um psycho were a little mixed just kind of like what the thing was we're like there's one critic uh where she ended up um British critic C A Louis was so offended that she not only walked out before the end, but she permanently resigned her post as a film critic for the observer. Good That's sounds good. Good sounds like she needed to. Um yeah, yeah. I I, th- I think uh, you know, and like I don't know the history of horror films, but the monster was usually a monster. It was a werewolf. It was a cr- creature from the Black Lagoon. It was Dracula. It was Frankenstein's monster, right? Like, and I'm just speaking, spinning off the iconic things from my head. But the, mm. in terms of horror, it was all these pulpy comics, right? And then the and like in the film representation, it was based off these creatures from these fairy tale books. These novels, yeah, like your creature of the Black. The creature of the Black Lagoon. We had the 1950s era leading up to us, which is a lot of yeah. like 50s B movies, like uh, it was Damn never, and shit. It was never a guy. It was never just yeah. the guy working the counter at the hotel. It, it was never that guy, and th- that is a big. That's a big shift from an audience, and I, I I'm really glad we're having that like perspective conversation because I think, uh, you know, I and just to tie it back into Killers of Flower Moon, there's these two kids that are going viral. You know, my hat's off to them because their grift is just complaining about like anything that's not like a comic book movie. Um, oh, I know exactly. Yeah, what you're talking yeah. About. These two, <laughs> these two nerdy kids. I saw the ultimate blast on them. It was like nerd. Being a nerd used to mean you were smart, but like you were smart, but then you, you know, weren't good looking or strong. But you, the benefit was you were smart, and that would benefit you later in life. Now, now, if nerds aren't smart, like what benefit did they have? And I was like, that is a that's a burn that's hard to recover from but i think these kids grift is like they're gen zers they don't want to work a real job 
Um, they don't have any real insight into filmmaking. So if they just make a hot take film podcast that people will hate watch to clip and put up, it's going to get the the numbers that they need regardless to maybe get some sponsorships. So like my hat's off to them. Cause like I could, I saw right, that's what we need to do. <laughs> I saw right through their grip. No, I'd rather, I'd rather stick to my guns, Tommy, than try to try to make some, wow. Killers of the flower moon with so long. Like, well, like films just shouldn't even be that long unless it's end game. Like I, oh, I, it, I would, was, I would lose my soul every day. I said that. Was, but yeah. My hat's off to them for that grift. Um, you know, and and just kind of like tying it back into that, like, and you're saying like the crit- critics were mixed on this, it would be taking something that when you think of it just from the context of a film, it, it's like, it's masterfully done. It's Hitchcock, right? But you have this issue of, um, you know, it just not being what people are used to seeing anymore. And if you want to contextualize it to today, to Killers of the Fire Moon, people aren't fed three hour epic historical films that are like visceral and heart-wrenching that's mm. like squeeze that emotion out of you that makes you leave the film like emotionally exhausted like audi- modern audiences are not used to that anymore and, mo- and audiences in 1960 were not used to the the man and it's the whole thing also being killed yeah whatever we don't need to go into that but yeah yeah i you know i think this but, but no in terms of like you know perspective when you th- when you think of the time of this, like, you know, um, obviously the sheriff's scene we've talked about multiple times, but like even the death of uh, the private investigator of like how shocking that must have been. I mean, like the mm-hmm. score of this movie is amazing yes. by uh, Bernard Herman. And I think it really helped save the movie, um, which is a point I'll get back to um, later. But, you know, when you have the private investigator dying, he gets stabbed and then he immediately falls down the stairs. And then he, uh, Anthony Perkins, obviously, um, stabs him over and over and over again well granted they don't show it like a slasher movie of like all the blood squirting out at the time just that uh, seeing that over and over again was scary enough and being like oh my god like what is being shown on the screen right now (laughs) well let's let's take before we go into you know best performance and stuff let's take two groundbreaking films at the time that maybe aren't perceived as scary anymore you have psycho 1960 and you have the exorcist in 1973 i think the exorcist works uh, in terms of like a horror movie i think that one works a lot better psycho to me kind of plays more as like a psychological thriller with a mystery intrigued into it right like something's going on at the bates motel we got to figure it out and they're both masterfully done i think the difference with the exorcist is that it's so by the numbers routine of like if he, your child had an you know had an exor you know was possessed by a demon and you've done everything you possibly can to solve it and then it builds into that moment you know that's like the the frightening part of it it just feels so grounded and mandated into what would actually happen if this was to happen today um, you know, versus Psycho, where I don't think it's scary in the slightest because it's so tame compared to what people audience, you know, audiences today I, have seen. But that doesn't take away from the impact of the movie as a thriller. I I think that um, overall, Psycho. I mean, the scariest part of this movie is the score. Um, yeah, I agree. The- Bernard <laughs> Herman just created an iconic score, and I was thinking like tonight today when I was listening to. Uh, I mean, watching the movie, I was like, I'm sure this has popped up in other movies over and over again, not just for like periods of the shower scene. Um, and it's just like Hitchcock himself, like thought this movie at first was like really trashy. And he was like, ah, maybe this is just going to be like some like low budget movie that's going to be played in drive-ins. And then he heard the Bernard Herman score and he's like, this is going to be fucking great. I made a great movie right here. Yeah. Um, but on your point, I mean, The Exorcist, I saw it in theaters earlier this year, uh, month and that movie for me is still fucking haunting, still really plays really great. To yeah. a point that the new Exorcist movie, which um, I'll be covering on the Film versus Film podcast, just Shout did out. not Shout feel out scary. Martin. Yeah, um, uh, which I saw that re- uh, over the weekend too. And that just is toothless. Whole other thing I can uh, get into. Uh, but... yo, it's, this podcast is already long enough. Uh, we can yeah. cover it on our next week's <laughs> but, episode. But, but, but yeah, but, bas- but basically, yeah, Psycho in general. I mean, like, I think that it's more so just that kind of performances in this movie that really carry in the score that carries it. Um, I think that it's just 
I think the best acting I've seen in uh, in terms of like the Hitchcock movies personally. I think that um, it doesn't really suffer from like you know the old timey sound. I guess the sound design just worked a lot better. And like I said earlier at the top of the pod, the black and whiteness of this just kind of makes it feel a little bit timeless. It, it, I think it adds tension to it. That too, like the shadows yeah. just being more illicit and more in your mind, just I, I think enhances it versus this in color. I am a star. I'm a star, I'm a star, I'm a star. I am a big, bright, shining star. Right, Tommy, who is the star of the movie? Because this is just, um, this is a lot of fantastic performances. Um, I mean, I think it's, I mean, how is it not Anthony Perkins? Yeah. Um, I mean, I think that it would probably end up being him, but I mean, like this is a movie that just, like you said, filled with amazing performances. My personal favorite performance, I think, was just Martin Blum as the private investigator Milton and just pretty much keeps on getting underneath uh, Anthony Perkins' skin and keeps yeah. on asking the questions over and over again. Anthony's just like, like all right whatever dude like whatever and uh, you know even like john gavin as sam loomis the lover he was really great especially in the end movie uh scene yeah. where he's just like like oh what are you doing with the money <laughs> and janet lee because she has to get you emotionally invested into her and her decision to steal the money which is if that's very if, difficult to do to make your protagonist do something that bad especially at that time yeah um, well yeah she stole forty thousand, which is the equivalent of 400k today um so a lot of fucking money she's still right i mean there, even I if mean, you like, just equivalent it to 40 grand today that's a lot of money still, like a, still a lot that was money. in that was in my mind though when i saw that like i was like that is worth so much more money than it is today but even if it was because like sometimes it's like it's a thousand dollars and it's like you know which is worth ten thousand dollars right a lot more mm-hmm. but like you know sometimes those translations don't work i don't think it being 40 grand versus four hundred thousand ultimately change you know makes anything different from that but just kind of like showing like showing her emotions her uneasiness as she's making this travel to go see her her lover sam uh loomis i i think is she just does a great job with it um and carrying that first part of the movie but i mean anthony's performance is just mind-blowing if you didn't care about Janet Lee whatsoever in the beginning of the movie, then the first side of this movie just wouldn't work because you'd just be like, "All right, the, like the whole movie fucking... wouldn't work." Because like, yeah, God, she's thank God that bitch is dead. Like that's that's what happens. Ex- exactly, it would have been like you know, like the later day Friday the Thirteenth uh, sequels, where it's just like, "All right, let's just get Jason killing these teens. Come on, fuck up those teens right there." And that's not what this movie's about. Um, but I think overall, Anthony Perkins. I mean, we haven't talked about Vera Miles, who is shockingly still alive today. Didn't expect that. God um, bless. God bless. Yeah, exactly. But her her character is more so just like concern and not really amazing to the point the other, um, other yeah, characters she, are. She but was, she's just there. She's just but I, there. But yeah, yeah. I th- I th- I think Anthony Perkins just plays like a multifaceted part right here. Where like you know, at some points he's just really creepy and selling. Some points he's just like oh, the typical normal uh, hotel clerk or whatever. And, and from my knowledge, it's the first time an audience has ever seen a character like that before. Like you know, you could say like. You know, am I taking Anthony Hopkins in Silence of the Lambs or Anthony Perkins in Psycho? I'm taking Anthony Hopkins in in the uh, in Silence of the Lambs. But you know, you can also now see the influence of Anthony Perkins in that in that role, right? It's it all stems from that like one performance there, um, and it's it was groundbreaking at the time. It was controversial at the time, and I really don't think this movie has aged poorly. I think it's just kind of aged from like horror to to thriller like i think that's just the only change i would distinction i would make in this kind of movie yeah i i, th- I think i agree with you there i mean the horror elements like aren't really as shocking because you know we, we've seen so much more in, in this uh you know this movie is considered one of the earliest examples of the slasher genre and of course you know when we get to the point of like you know Friday michael myers yeah michael myers like fucking like uh melting some lady's face off in a fucking hot tub Psycho seems a little quaint by comparison. <laughs> Def- definitely, definitely. Ah, are you ready, comedy partner? Waka waka. All right, Tommy. Does Psycho work as a Muppet adaptation 
I'm literally Googling right now if Muppets ever did like a psycho I'm parody. F- feel like there's got to be something, right? There, just, there's if, some like image on Google of like uh, Miss Piggy dressed as Janet Lee right now um, outside the fucking psycho house. I mean, like I said at the top of the pod, there's an episode, um, there's Looney Tunes back in action had Bugs Bunny pretending to do the fucking like Janet Lee scream thing. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, overall, no, this movie is a little too creepy and unsettling, but I could definitely see the Muppets just parroting the so par- parroting the shower scene absolutely yeah uh, would be <laughs> up there their lens there all right tommy review time give me your uh, score out of five um i think this is a really good rewatch um i think this is a really fun uh hitchcock movie i think this is my favorite of all of his movies um so overall this still plays really well today i think the acting still really holds up i mean the cinematography and the score is iconic i'm gonna go i think 4.5 out of 5 so really like this movie. I'm, I'm it's not my favorite hitchcock i'm i still think i prefer vertigo and rear window over it um but i'm going to give it a four out of five it's just a fantastic thriller with horror elements um you know the twist you know what's coming um but that doesn't take away from the creepiness and the surrealness of uh anthony perkins characters and just this is the significance of this this movie culturally uh, if you haven't seen it, highly recommend it. Um, I'm actually going to go see it on Halloween at the Franklin Theater in, in downtown Ooh. Franklin, Tennessee. Yeah, they're showing it on Halloween, which now after seeing it, I'm like, I don't know if you, but it, it's just kind of considered a Halloween classic at this point. I, I, th- I think it'd be fun to be seen on the big screen. Oh, it'd be so fun. to. Oh, it had nothing to do with it being seen on the big screen. It's more of a like, eh, maybe Halloween would have been the better one for, for October 31st. You know, I think they're playing that yeah. on Sunday or Monday. But yeah, um, yeah. Uh, Tommy, any final thoughts before we wrap this puppy up? Uh, so thank you guys so much for listening. Um, you know, we have a great month coming up. We're going to be covering uh, Casino and, and Scarface. I forgot Scarface, Scarface, which we're going to be trying to catch a screening of. Um, you know, I've watched fucking like three De Palma movies since uh, we, we covered Carrie. He's great, and the dude's great. But for some reason, the the other two, uh, what's it called? Uh, Brian De Palma movies I watched also. Uh, also open up with a girl showering. So it's just like, that dude clearly has this thing right there. <laughs> Did you watch Blowout um, at all? Oh yeah, I watched Blowout was one of them. I, have, and, I love that movie. Fantastic. Yeah. Fantastic movie. Um, Great Travolta. The other one, yeah, the other one I watched was Dress to Kill. Um, so I'm definitely on a De Palma kick. I'm really excited to check out Starface for the first time. Yeah, because that's Casino, his most iconic film. And then Casino's the follow-up to to Goodfellas. Good yeah, and then we, we yeah. had something else. Yeah, I can't remember what it was. Tommy's frozen right now. Um, I'm just vamping right now, or right now it's just me. Um, well, thank you all so much for listening today. You can follow us on Twitter uh, and Instagram and TikTok at Seen It Pod. Uh, you know, you can find us anywhere you can get your podcast. Leave us a five star review. Give us a subscribe. It helps us out tremendously. Uh, we'll be back with Casino to kick off the month of November. Thank you all so much for listening. We'll see you again next time.